I was quoted on the, in the Albuquerque Journal on the front page, and everybody said, oh, you're like a climate denier. I said, no, man. That's like, you know, they, they got like more lobsters than they ever had. Their range has expanded. And, you know, the trout in certain places are doing better. Now, that would be nice if that lasts, but it's probably going to uh, all end in a big explosion one day. That was Taylor Streit sharing a perspective on the changing climate conditions, one of the most unique states in our union today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how you doing today? Thank you for stopping in on the show. Before we get rolling here, I wanted to remind you uh, to check out a podcast. If you haven't heard of the Destination Angler podcast, Steve does a great job hosting the Destination Angler and actually had um, Taylor's son, Nick, on and they went deep on the Rio Grande. So after this one, you can click over there and take a listen to the Destination Angler and keep this, uh, this party going strong. Lake Lady Rods builds distinctive custom rods, each created one at a time to the exact specifications for you. Lake Lady only uses world-class top-of-the-line products and components. Just ask some of the governors and senders that Chris has produced rods for in the past. These rods are crafted to be the most sensitive tool a discriminating angler can ask for. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash lakelady to check it out right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash L-A-K-E-L-A-D-Y. Established in 1928, Deddy Flies is the oldest family-run fly shop in the country, now in their 94th season. Deddy's mission has always been to supply the fly fishing community with the finest products and services. Each fly they sell is either tied in-house or by a handful of select domestic tires. And we've talked to a few of them on the show, so it's been great to connect with Deddy here. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash Deddy to connect with them right now. That's wetflyswing.com slash Deddy, D-E-T-T-E. You support this podcast and the oldest family-run fly shop in the country. Taylor Strite, who has been leading his own style of fly shop and fly fishing adventures, shares his very cool story today. We hear his story of building a fishing business during the Woodstock days, find out about his battle with alcohol and how that affected his life uh, during a period of time and also all this how it revolves around the Taos the very popular Taos fly shop once again we covered it all today including a full breakdown on fly fishing New Mexico so without further ado here is Taylor Strite from TaosFlyShop.com how's it going Taylor it's uh, going yeah it's going fine so Taylor, this is um, this has been a little long time coming. I'm not sure who first referenced you, but it's it was a while back. Um, I want to say it was somebody over on the East Coast, and I've been wanting to make a connection with you for a while because you're down in in New Mexico in a really what seems like an amazing part of the country. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about that and the fly shop you created. Um, but take us back. I always love to go back to the start really quickly. Talk about how you first got into fly fishing. Well, you know, it's funny because just in preparation for. For talking to you, I listened to uh, Nick Lyons just oh, now, yeah. the, the interview you did. And mm-hmm. it was, and my instinctive fly fishing book is with Lyons Press. And Nick, oh. Nick helped me with the title. And then he, before like the year he retired, 
uh, something like that. Like I think it was 2000, 2000, 2002, somewhere in there. He approved it. I mean, he he's the one who who uh, who took it. But we go way back to when I was uh, a teenager working for Francis Pedersen, the Osable. But we used to email and we talked about because he just talked about that on on the thing you did uh, about fishing as a kid and how I said, Nick, I've moved away from a, a fishing country or trout fishing country and I'm fishing for catfish and, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm watching that red and white bobber. Oh my God. It's just enchanting. And he says, Oh, I love that too. That's just like the man, that's where it all starts. And with me, the first fishing memory I have, I'm actually trying to write my memoirs and the first fishing oh, wow. memory I have is a red and white plastic bobber. They had plastic in 1950 and yeah. and it jiggled just the tiniest little bit, and I slung back, and it came and hit me right on the forehead, cracked and broke, and so <laughs> not my head, but the right. but the but the bobber, right? So wow. that was the first, you know, that was my start. But I was insane, you know. I was just like, uh, who knows how that all happened? But it, uh, just for anything outdoors, really, and and uh, yeah, it was. I was caught. So good. So we're back into it. And you got the red and white bobber, which everybody knows. Everybody loves the old red and white bobber. How did you, uh, uh, you know, where did fly fishing come into you? Well, the fly fishing part started, I think, the, the neighbors where I lived, which was in the Hudson Valley in New York. Uh, they, they fished uh, and uh, serious fly fishermen. And uh, they took me fishing. And my dad did too, but my dad was you know, trying to make a go of, of his uh, work, you know. So they took me fishing, and and I just was writing about it. And one of the guys, Herb Dickerson, and he was friends with Eric Leiser, and he, uh, you know, they were the real in crowd in the Catskill fishing. And uh, I'd go fishing with him, and he was a purist, and uh, so he'd only fish dry flies. And, and I'm like, you know, 10 years old and supposed to be sitting on the bank looking for fish to rise. I mean, that's, <laughs> that, you know, that don't work. So <laughs> I would take off and go fish and I'd come back towards dark and, and Herb hadn't made a cast, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so uh, that was the, uh, I learned quick about the, uh, uh, the different manners of fly fishing and how people yeah. uh, go off in their uh, notions. That's it. That's it. And, and that's really cool because the Catskills, we hear a lot about that. We have a lot of listeners in the Northeast as well. And yeah. and uh, you were brought up kind of, it sounds like, in one of, with one of the traditional, the great, you know, amazing types yeah. of fishing. So you have, do you feel like um, that really influenced where you went as you got in, moved your way out West? Well, what happened was, uh, I'd be fishing the, the Sopus and the Beaver Kill in the Catskills, fishing in the Catskills and the Beaver Kill and the Sopus and the Skahari. And oh, uh, we fished out of Phoenicia. Uh, and uh, I haven't been there in 60 years. And uh, but it was um, it was a great education, especially fishing the Beaver Kill. And uh, I remember being on the Beaver Kill one evening when there was a I remember, my God, there's a fish rising every foot. 
And, oh, man. you know, it was just, uh, it was one of those occasions which happens on every trout stream about uh, a couple times a year when every fish is feeding in the whole river. But, um, but then when I was uh, just after high school, I got tuberculosis and I was in the, in the, you know, the hospital for a few months and, and I got out of there and that and changed my life. And then I'm just going to fish for the rest of my life and, oh, wow. and drink and smoke a lot of dope. And, and so <laughs> I, so I ended up, um, working for Francis betters in, on the Osable uh, near Lake Placid, Wilmington, New York. And he was a very famous cat and he, he, uh, developed some flies and, uh, the Osable wolf and, and I tied flies for him for 15 cents each, and I guided, and uh, I guided Nick Lyons once, and 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 then he, and and Nick uh, wrote in um, a letter to the editor in the New York Times in 1967 before he started in the book business. So I've teased him about this, and tried to get him to put this on the back of my instinctive book, but <laughs> he thought yeah. it was he thought it was too extreme. Because in that article, he called me a monstrous predator because I wow. had <laughs> I had all, you know, it was before catch and release. And so we made, you know, aluminum foil cylinders out of all the fish in, in the freezer, you know, and they yeah. just were all wasted for, virtually, you know, and then right. you try and eat them a year later. But um, <sighs> so so I did that for a couple of years. And that's where I really started in the in the fishing business, you know. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah. And then I moved to New Mexico New Mexico after. And how old were you when you moved to uh, New Mexico? I was about 20. 20. Yeah, yeah. So uh-huh. and this was what year was this? Well, that would have been in um uh 69. I went uh I was at Woodstock and uh, there were some people from New Mexico that I met there of hog farmers, uh commune people and uh I don't know how how in the world they could have talked me into going there, but I went and and uh, and there's some some interesting stories <laughs> disregard, <Yeah. laughs> disregarding fishing carrying on for quite right. a few years there. Yeah, quite a few years. So this is this is good. I love this. So Woodstock, uh-huh. we're back to Woodstock, uh-huh. and uh, and and really that influenced you to get out wet to New Mexico. So what was so once you got to New Mexico, I mean, what were you doing there uh, from then until you know were you just fishing all the time? Well, there was a whole lot of it. Yeah, there was a whole lot of fishing. Uh, I got a job tying flies for a sporting goods store uh, there in Taos. And, uh, you know, that was not part of uh, uh, the United States then. And, um, uh, I mean, it was no longer the territory of New Mexico. But, I mean, things rolled much differently there than they do huh. in, in the rest of America. And and I lived on a commune for for quite some time. And and then built my own adobe house and and um and i'd be in the fishing uh, tying flies usually and um and th- that went on for for some time and and i would write some and uh i wasn't very good at it i read something the other day but and then i started Tal's fly shop in 1980 the same year okay. The same year my son Nick was born, and now Nick has the Tiles Fly Shop, but and yeah. it's now a very, very large business. And uh, so, um, uh, yeah, 
uh, I, I skipped over a lot of stuff there, but, but all the time fishing and, um, you know, like now people can, with the incredible quality of guiding in the Rocky mountains of the United States, um, and other parts of the United States, uh, the people learn to fly fish real fast if they hire a guide, you know. So, yeah, I didn't have that. I uh, I had the. I think I heard you describe it. Uh, uh, the self-taught cast, you know, it's not pretty. And uh, and I did things like I went to Mel Krieger's casting school. A client, oh, wow. a client took me for as a tip, and that was a week long school. And Mel taught me to recast, and then I had other uh, almost adventures with Mel. And, uh, well, it just carries on. I mean, that's, yeah, you've had a full thing. This is interesting because I, yeah. and we're going to dig into a little bit of, uh, you know, some of the fishing here in a sec. I'm right. I want to take it back. Cause I love, I think it was uh, maybe Ed Engel mentioned like Woodstock and, and obviously uh-huh. I was never at Woodstock, so I missed it, uh-huh. but I would have loved to have gone, but give me a, give me a Woodstock story before we get into the fishing. What, what's the, I mean, I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff, but, but what yeah. was that? How did that influence yeah. your, your life? Well, I lived just, uh, I don't know, 30, 40 miles away from there. And, and, uh, so, and I had this, uh, girlfriend and, and her sister, and we took off to go over there and we were late, you know, like a day late and we're driving in the freeway, which was miles and miles and miles from thing. And this, and it's dark and this guy goes tripping across the freeway, you know, like, uh, lunging forward. Right. And I go, yeah. Hey, that's Johnny. That's Johnny DeNorfio. And so, and he looked at us and his eyes were rolling around and he said, don't take the purple acid. And then he just took off into the bush, you know? Oh, wow. So <laughs> anyway, nice. so, so that was Woodstock. Woodstock was a lot of people that were tripping around. And we drove to within about two miles. We passed like 20 miles of parked cars and we drove right up to the place and parked right there. And then Credence Clearwater were was oh, wow. playing as we walk the perfect walking nice. music and then and uh yeah holy yeah. cow and then uh you know and then i and then the hog farm was feeding free food and then i ended up you know being on a commune <laughs> so yeah so that's right the commune yeah. Right. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, well, maybe we'll hold the commune uh, question till till the end if we have time. But uh, I want to dig into a little bit on, you know, the the Rio Grande. And I mean, there's some pretty amazing rivers that people, a lot of people hear about. And I know you, you've guide and you, you, you know, you've taught out there for years. But uh, but talk about that. Let, let's start us first. Somebody who maybe hasn't been to New Mexico, and, and obviously uh-huh. um, uh, you're down below Colorado. I'm kind of curious. What is the? I, you're kind of up north, right? Taos is a little north. How similar is it? More similar to say a Colorado, or more similar to say an Albuquerque? Oh, it's it's its own thing. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, Taos is under the tallest mountain in the state, which is uh, Mount Wheeler, which is thirteen something, and so there's a lot of above timberline country. I mean, it's the it's the the high Rockies, and uh, oh wow, just fifty miles north in Colorado is Mount Blanco, which is fourteen thousand four hundred something. So yeah, no, it's the proper Rockies, and so and the other and the rest of that territory, there's another branch. Uh, of the Rockies that come down, that's the San Grady Cristos right at Taos, but but the the San Juan Mountains, 
kind of uh, melt into the Tusas Mountains once they get into New Mexico, and there's a lot of streams in there and the mm-hmm. Chama River and stuff. But the Rio Grande is the the main drainage, and, uh, you know, it's got that um, – it's in a big nasty canyon, and so it's it's not fished all that much, and and um, it's a lot of uh, big, uh, in nineteen twenty inch uh, is a is a normally about the biggest fish, the biggest that trout get under n- uh, normal circumstances, unless they're in the tailwater or unless they're fed, and these are all of course wild fish, so. They wouldn't know what feed looks like. So, um, but um, uh, it's very, very rugged. And uh, but to uh, you know, I have a uh, I have a new book. I think I sent it to you, uh, mm-hmm. which which is Fly Fish Tile Santa Fe. And I had another guidebook that um, uh, Fly Fishing New Mexico, and then there's a couple other with very similar titles. So I had to call it Fly Fish Tile Santa Fe, which, you know, obviously you're not fishing in, in the cities. Uh, but um, so it covers all of northern New Mexico, including San Juan. And it's up to date. You know, I, I've published it myself. And so I carry it around and sell it. And unfortunately, the book business is, <laughs> is not in the best of shape. So I went right. to I went to one town. And they had three bookstores, and there wasn't a new book in the whole thing. They're all used books. Yeah. I think this is uh, – I have the book here. I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's definitely colorful. You have some great maps in it and stuff like that, and you got the uh, all the big rivers. And the Rio Grande is one of those rivers. Let, let's let's uh-huh. go there for a second. Talk about the Rio Grande. Like if somebody's coming in there, they're flying in, they're driving in, and they uh-huh. want to get some fishing in. What are they looking at? What, what are the, What's that river? You know, What should they be thinking? Do they need a boat? Can they hike in? What, what are they doing there? Well, you can uh, – boating, I mean, our guiding business, Tiles Fly Shop's guiding business, and uh, real life at Santa Fe, which my son also owns, uh, with Ivan Valdez. Um, but we do float the bottom few miles of the river. But most of the river is class 5 rapids, so oh, wow. it's um, you can't take your life in your hands to catch a fish. But you can hike into a lot of the river. But that's certainly not for everyone, and we screen clients mm-hmm. real carefully uh, about who to take where. But um, there are miles of the river that is got a highway next to it, and of course it doesn't fish like the remote parts of the canyon. But it can be quite good, especially in the uh, off season because it's the lower part of the river. So the water's warmer, and it has a very good, like, BWO hatches in, in uh, late winter and, uh, and also in, in, in late fall, too. And then also another thing about the Rio is uh, a very – it's a year-round river. It's, a, right. it's, the, it's what I have called the upside of global warming. I mean, it is – it fishes – you know, 300 days a year. And yep. uh, there's a caddis hatch, a pre-runoff caddis hatch that occurs um, in April. It used to be in mid-April. It's probably more now like early April. And mm-hmm. uh, it can be a quite astounding hatch. And, um, and you get to skate. 
uh, oh, wow. uh, dry flies. Yeah. And, uh, and then the fish are really dumb at that time of year, you know, in the spring. And so, so that's a, a really exciting thing to do is that, that, uh, early caddis hatch for sure. Early caddis. And that's, so, yeah. and then what if you look out as you go into say late April into May, what, what's that looking like as far as fishing hatches and things like that? Well, May's going to be run on in the Rio. So, so May's going to suck pretty much. So, so no um, uh, yeah. And then it just, you know, there's a lot of irrigation things that go on with that. I live now on the lower part of the Rio Grande, almost by Mexico. And, um, uh, where I catch all the catfish and walleye and such. And, um, and so th- this is where the water gets, gets used is the pecan farms down here. And, um, uh, so it's just, you know, the irrigation's king in New Mexico. And so, uh, we don't know, but, but the low flows, and I have this in my instinctive book, um, you know, narrow Canyon streams, almost always fish best the lower they are and um because then you can get at the fish and um and that's the case in the rio so it's fished very very well in the last few years i mean just incredible fishing and you know that's all wild fish and um, part of that's to do with the otters. They've been reintroduced, and they have been a detriment in a couple of cases of where, where there's a lot of spawning. Mm-hmm. But in the Rio itself, they've cleaned up the carp, and uh, which is a major uh, competition. And they've cleaned up the crayfish, which is another major non-native competition to the trout. And so, so... So trout numbers have, have gone up considerably, and it's uh, made up of uh, probably 75% browns, 25% uh, cut bows. They have a distinct kind of uh, cutthroat slash, and uh, and then there'll be stalkers, uh, you know, along the highway, of course. But but uh, and there's smallmouth and uh, and pike, but the pike. Um, have been hit hard by the otters, it appears. We don't know where they've gone, but they're not as numerous as they used to be. Um, but uh, I was listening to your show with Larry Dahlberg. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and we have places in the canyon where you can get up, not like the full 600-foot part of the canyon, but a much lower, which is perfect for sight fishing, where you can see down. Oh, so, yeah. so when you guide it for pike, you have your client down below and you're up on the ledge and you can spot the fish from up above. And then depending on how deep they are, you give them that brilliant Dahlberg diver and you just put it on its nose and strip it until uh, they can't resist. And uh, anyway, sight fishing for for a uh, 40-inch pike is <laughs> quite, a, quite a thrill. Wow. This is in the Rio Grande. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. So that sounds pretty interesting. You have not only the trout species, but you add pike, which you don't find everywhere. What, what's the, so how uh, long have pike have been there for a while? I don't know. Uh, nobody seems to know how long they've been there. Uh, they were probably put into a reservoir down below and then moved up. They're mostly oh, yeah. in, in Colorado in the San Luis Valley, um, which is just an hour above Taos. But, um, and then there's a lake 
east of Taos, about 40 minutes away, called Eagle Nest Lake, which is a very rich fishery. And it has somebody, who knows who, uh, dumped some pike in there some, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And they have reached about, I think, their maximum length, which seems to be for that place about 45 inches. And I was with my son one day when, in fact, there's a picture in the new book uh, uh, of, of Nick mm-hmm. with two 45-inch two uh, pike, which uh, you have to keep. It. They made a law that you have to keep the pike. But, uh, yeah, so that's another interesting. And that Eagle Nest Lake is a very good trout fishery at times, too. Oh, it is. Yeah. So you got, uh-huh. so basically painting the scene, you guys are, yeah, you're in the Rockies, you're in, you know, New Mexico, but essentially you're at a high elevation. And what is the elevation of Taos, the town itself? 7,000 feet. Oh yeah. So you're way up there. Yeah. So you're way, you're way high. Yeah. Santa Fe's yeah. at 7,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Even Santa Fe, everything's big. So this uh-huh. is cool. So, um, so what is, so for those that don't know Taos or the area, what do you, what do you really love about New Mexico and living out there? Well, New Mexico is not the, the proper America, you know. Um, why is that? You mentioned that before. Why is it? Uh, why does it seem like it's different than, say, um, everything else? Say Colorado. Well, people are all different colors, and they're all different uh, <laughs> uh, makeups. And there's some good, and there's some bad. There's a lot of violence, to be frank, in Albuquerque, certainly. And uh, you know, they didn't just make up Breaking Bad, you know. Huh. And um, but there's a a lot of artists. There's the the landscapes are just incredibly unique in every direction you look. And to my uh, uh, liking, is it's extremely light population, especially oh. especially in southern New Mexico. I live right next to the Gila, and. Uh, uh, my neighbor, a buddy of mine, uh, I consider him my neighbor and he's a hundred miles away. And so it's, yeah. it's, it's, uh, that's, that's amazing. I haven't had anybody drive up to my house in a while. It gets a little lonely. So you're right. So you think that, you know, because you look at California, Colorado, some of these places, you would think that, yeah, maybe more people would be piling into New Mexico because it's such a light, you know, yeah, yeah. Warm. and that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's it a, is true. It's happening, and Taos is a whole different story. There's a there's a lot of people there now. I mean, it's yeah. just a you know, uh, 20 years ago it was just a, maybe 20,000 people, but um, seems like there's a million now. But but it's still you know, there's a lot of art. There's a lot of different kind of thinking, and there's uh, most people. You know, you you get faced with all of the realities of New Mexico, the poverty and. Uh, uh, pregnancy and violence and this and that but nobody really wants to leave <laughs> right it's because kinda, of the weather it's good well weather's good but it's just new mexico it's uh it's one of a kind <laughs> this is awesome i'm gonna i have a friend that actually lives in uh near taos and uh uh-huh. i haven't been i haven't been there yet and you know uh-huh. but i'm hoping to make a road trip so if we were to make a road trip out there let's say in april before the high water hits and yeah, i was yeah. coming in there what would uh-huh. you recommend for me to do should i just uh should i just drive into the fly shop and uh, check in with nick or what, what would you recommend well from where you're coming from you'd probably go by the san juan and yeah. we have we have a permit to guide on the San Juan, and that's mostly float fishing. And I got one guide, Ron Sadal, 
who was uh, exceptionally schooled on the San Juan. And, um, and the fishing there is not what it was uh, 20, 30 years ago, but it's changed. And he's targeting these unbelievably big, like Tierra del Fuego size hmm. browns, uh, 30 inch browns. And I mean, he doesn't catch, you know, maybe a couple of years, maybe a few, but um, uh, there are these absolutely gigantic browns there. But anyway, that's a all all season fishery. Oh, that's all season. Right. So then you, you get over closer towards Taos. Uh, then you're in uh, uh, around Chama. Chama is a superb river, but it has quite a narrow window of, of excellence, which would be early summer. Um, Mid-June to mid-July really is the okay. uh, prime territory for there. Not April. April's not good there. No, 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 no. I, well, you never know, you know, with global warming – if you get in a position where you're uh, you're on a stream and there's snow in the mountains and it's been cold and then all of a sudden you get a 70 degree day and the water doesn't have a chance to melt and uh, turn it into ice water but it's just warm and nice i mean you can have good fishing like in the middle of winter on certain streams if you're lucky mm. you know you have to yeah, hit lucky. that just right but once the snow starts melting the water's 33 degrees you know so so then you're screwed so but okay yeah yeah so so basically and and the and then taking it to the rio grande so that will fish before the flood in april probably probably yeah it's 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 a tricky time of year because i mean there is a well now it's still almost it's winter i guess right and there's a a foot of snow uh forecast for today there so wow but it certainly can snow way into April and and be quite nasty of weather. That's the problem with that caddis hatch in April is the weather is extremely temperamental. So yeah. at that time, and it's mountain weather. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's rowdy. It's, You're way, it's way rowdy. Mm-hmm. Jackson Hole Flight Company may sound like a new brand, but they're actually been around for quite a while, since 1978, in fact. In 2020, they launched jhflyco.com and started selling uh, fly fishing gear directly to anglers all over the country. You can go ahead and check them out right now. They got a huge selection of fly rods, reels, fly lines, tools, accessories, and much more. Thousands of fly tying patterns and all sorts of good stuff. I've been loving my new Jackson Hole Sling. It's been great along with the, the rod that we're going to be taking out on the upcoming trip fishing up in the Kamloops. I'm going to be uh, definitely having this one on the water and testing out with some Kamloops rainbows. I'm excited for that. And just like Amazon, they'll ship everything directly to your door, saving you time and money. But unlike Amazon, you'll be supporting a great shop and this podcast by grabbing a few flies. You can check them out right now, jhflyco.com swing. And right now you get free shipping on all orders over $50 and you get 25% off your first order. Just go to jhflyco.com slash swing and you get started right now. Go check it out. 25%. Let's do it. So, okay. So, and then what would be if somebody, you know, was just saying, I want to go there when the fishing's really good, when you can count on it. When would be the best time you'd recommend to head out there for say, let's take it to the Rio Grande. September, October. Yeah. So the fall. Yeah. 
is that in general just because the, the water's cool down? Well, that's it's good because there's very little pressure, um, and the t- uh, water temperatures are, are are good. August, the middle of August, is a, a surprising slot. Um, almost always there's a cool down about the middle of August, and then it might get really hot again uh, early September. But um, but the fishing in general, the best fishing. In the in the southern Rockies and probably the entire Rockies is uh, is late spring. It's June uh, into mid July. That's when the hatches happen. That's when the uh, gray drakes, green drakes, uh, stoneflies. Uh, because another river we fish a lot, which is just an hour north, of, well, an hour and twenty minutes north of Taos, is the Conejos in Colorado, which is a, a main feeder of the the Rio, and. Um, and that's um, uh, fish probably average 17 inches, and um, and they they eat on top. They really look up there. So so that's an excellent fishery in uh, late spring, early summer. Late spring, okay. So you got so basically it's good, and then through the summer and the fall, and then is there a time towards you know when you get towards the winter when things just kind of shut down? Yes. Well, like I say, the global warming thing. You know, you <laughs> yeah. you just don't. I mean, it's. I was quoted on the in the Albuquerque Journal on the front page, and everybody said, "Oh, you're like a climate denier." I said, "No, man. That's like, you know, they they got like more lobsters than they ever had. Their range has expanded, and you know, yeah. and the trout in certain places are doing better now. That would be nice if that lasts, but it's probably going to." Uh, all end in a big explosion one day. But for right now, you know, there are some good parts to the uh, climate change. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're a fisherman, not not if you're a farmer, probably, you know. Yeah, yeah. I know there's good and bad and who knows where all this is going. But okay. So that gives a little snippet of of kind of the area you're in and and some general fishing things. Right. I'm going to go back to the shop because you gave, you know, you built this shop, right? So you Uh said in 1980, you opened the doors. When, when, when you started that thing, did you know this thing was going to be like a successful shop? This thing was doing well. Well, actually I started at a very bad time. I was my, uh, uh, drinking (laughs) (laughs) on a personal note, uh, was, was a little extreme. And, uh, and so, but another thing that happened is we had a, a mine in the neighborhood that really just about killed Rio Grande, and it, it and it did a, a really rough number on the Red River, which feeds the Rio Grande. And uh, the mine's been gone a long time now, but that's when I opened the shop, and so that was that was tough. And then the mine closed, and then in um, and then I was continuing to guide by myself, but I was training my son Nick who is now the greatest fishing guide on earth, except for our <laughs> other 17 guide. But, <laughs> but he's, uh, they're all just so good. And it's just an amazing crew. And, um, and then he, uh, uh, I trained him in the sense that we'd go out on trips with say three people. And I'd say, take care of that guy and move him over there. And, uh, you brought the lunches, right? And da, 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 da. Then he reopened the Taos Fly Shop because I closed it in 1987. Oh, wow. Here I got sober, actually. And so, oh. um, and then around uh, two, 2000, um, 
he reopened the shop and then he moved it. It got bigger and bigger and, and now it's in a quite large location. He's got, I don't know, uh, 10 people working in the shop. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, two or three people at a time. And, um, and we have 17 guides and, uh, hmm. and do a, a, a pretty big business. And he and Ivan Valdez also own the fly shop in, in, uh, in Santa Fe called the real life. And, uh, and, uh, I just, uh, uh, sending a box of 50 of my instinctive book to, to, uh, Ivan at, uh, the shop in Santa Fe for the college course they teach on fly fishing. So we, we did a lot of schools, and uh, a guide school was a big deal. We used to do a school with uh, – it all started with uh, schools we did every year with AK Best. And oh, yeah. We would do uh, – and it was in that caddis hatch was when we did it, uh, and uh, God willing. And we would tie flies in the morning, and then the fish activity was in the afternoon. So – so then we'd fish in the afternoon. It was a wonderful school. It was really a gas to do that. Yeah, yeah. No. So and I want to get on the timing here. This is so. Nineteen eighty, you opened the shop. Nineteen eighty. Uh-huh. It sounds like you had a period there where you struggle with some the alcohol and things like that. So eighty seven, you close the shop. So it's closed for thirteen years before uh, before Nick opens it up. Yes, right. And I was guiding on my own, and now to guide without a physical location. Well, let's say, despite all the booze, I got pretty good at the job because people got right. to really want to find you if you're yeah. if you're not. So I was doing a hundred jobs a year, and then a while after I uh, that so I guess in the nineties, somewhere's in there, I, uh, I started working in the Bahamas. Oh wow! And I ran a uh, South Andros. I ran uh, two different. Uh, fishing operations there and spent quite a bit of time five years i think going there and then after that which is a whole nother story but uh after that i i started taking people to argentina and i did that for 20 years 20 years and that started in and you started doing that in the uh the, the like the 90s yeah 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 and, and in fact i heard uh I heard Justin Spence on there, and uh, yeah, I took Justin to uh, there. He used to work with my son in, in a fly shop in um, in Albuquerque. And, That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I took him. That. I took him both there. Yeah, you're bringing together some of our past guests because now I remember. Yeah, Justin mentioned you guys, and right. we've had a lot of people. Yeah, Nick, I think did, and there's just been a whole bunch of uh, people along the way. So you've had. It sounds like you've had kind of a a little bit of a up and down rocky. It's not like you just built this fly shop and it became the biggest fly shop in the world. You literally had some some ups and downs. Has it been? Has it? Does it feel like it's been bumpy for you? <laughs> well, that's yeah. That's uh, uh, you know you you look around and you look at the person walking over there and you go is it as bumpy for them as it is for me um (laughs) any rate you know i guess it's the human condition but but uh as far as the fishing business goes i mean i just i'm out of it now as far as yeah you know i got to really uh despise parts of the business like the permits with the with the government were were just a, a nightmare for me because i tried to tell them you know i'm a fishing guide because i'm not good at papers and numbers and and uh you know regulations my god and so yeah. and uh you know they they the blm and the 
Forest Service, they they eat us up. They they can't they can't very well complain to Ted Turner and you know certain people, but fishing guides are at their mercy, and all they got to yeah. do is is put the foot down, and then you're out of business, you know. So right. So it's it, 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 that was, and this is the time of year I would be working on permits, and I'm not for the first year in 50 years, and it's just such an incredible relief. Not it feels good. <laughs> not dealing with it. Yeah. It feels good. So you're, I mean, like you said at the start, you're, you know, you got the the weed and all that stuff. I mean, you're like a counterculture. You're in that environment, but you had to basically do this passion, right? Fly fishing was was your passion, and you had a little bit of. Uh, of, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what the, what the word is. You had to deal with the government, but, um, uh-huh. but Nick's there now. Like, does he, did you think Nick, uh, is a little bit different on his take on all this? Like he's uh, taken over the shop. How does it look a little different now? Nick is more like my brother in that sense than, than I am. And, um, what advice did you give to Nick when you, when you transitioned to say, well, I guess he just opened the shop, but did you ever say, Hey, here, here's, here's my best advice. You're, you're doing this thing. Like you gave told him something. Yeah. 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 Well, when I was, when he was maybe 16, I was, uh, I was starting to get famous and getting a lot of ink and, and I said, you know, you could do something with this. And, and then after a while he did, and he, and he follows my brother's thing. And my brother, Jackson Strite, is the mountain angler in Breckenridge, Colorado. And he has a massive guiding business and um, and is a real serious player in the fishing world because he takes people fishing uh, all over, especially to Mexico. But my son, he's um, – Everyone should meet my son because yeah. he, he's got a six-minute YouTube of fish in the Rio Grande that is done by uh, a, a, a friend of ours, Greg Flores, and it's just uh, just fish porn. Like he la- he lands 113 fish in six minutes, and um, but it's a, it's it's a really good one of the river. But he's you know he's good friends with our senator Martin Heinrich, who's a uh, he, he, t- he turned Martin on to, uh, uh, a six point elk this fall and, and, uh, we all hunt a lot. Oh, you do. So you're all, you're all big game hunters. Uh, yeah. And small game. Cool. So, yeah. so basically, yeah, Nick, Nick is, uh, doing it. And then you said Nick, uh, was the one that turned the center on to the, to the big elk. Yeah. Yeah, he did. It could have been a, a Nick and Garrett Venterclausen, who's, uh, who's, uh, who's another part of the the troop and um they hunted together this last fall yeah yeah okay good good and i i had uh, two other quick questions and then we're going to get back to fishing but i really we had a guest on recently on the podcast and he surprised me because he said right at the start of the episode when we got going he said hey he was telling his story and he said yeah and i found myself um you know on the street i was living on the street i had uh, i was basically a, a, a bum uh-huh. He was alcoholic and a bum, and he was, uh-huh. and and I was like, wow, it took me by surprise. But fly fishing took him back out of that world and gave him a new life, right? And uh-huh. it was pretty powerful for you. Just to, to, and I, ha- I've had alcoholism in my family as well, so I know the struggles. But uh-huh. I mean, how did you get out of that? Right, you're in it. How, how did in '87? How did you find yourself to get you know clean? Was that a challenge? Couldn't ingest anymore. I just, oh. <laughs> it was like your body was shutting down, basically telling you. Yeah, I was almost dead, and I went to treatment and such. But uh, yeah, no, I was quite bad. And um, yeah, this book I'm writing, uh, 
my book is entitled I've got a picture of myself this memoir book I'm working on now uh, I've had five different books and this will be number six and oh, nice. I've found this old Polaroid picture from maybe the 60s of me holding a 22 inch trout with my stringy hair and a joint sticking out of my mouth <laughs> and I'm and I'm holding this fish and um, and the title for the book is going to be uh, which way is upstream which is a uh, which is a quote you uh, you get on on occasion from a client when you're guiding, and then you know you're in for a long day. But oh, um, right. <laughs> uh, but um, the other the alternative title, a guy named Dan Boyne, who's who's a, a writer for, for for Nick for Lions Press, he thinks it should be called "How Fly Fishing Saves My Life." But I find that a little dry. But but it yeah. would be it would be good in there, you know. Yeah, I like. I like which way is upstream. That's yeah. the, I think that's the one because right. uh, even if you don't know what that means, it's still inter- <laughs> yeah. it's still interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you you uh, I, I've been working on that that chapter about guiding. You know, about how when I started guiding, I kept notes on the fishing, the flies, the insects, the timing, and then it just gradually over time just became about the clients. Because then I knew about the fish, and that was deep inside of me, right? But the clients were always a surprise, and and, and I realized yeah. there, as far as writing, uh, you, you know, there's a there's a, a lot of stories to tell about uh, taking people fishing. It's a yeah. pretty pretty intimate thing. You learn a lot and about somebody in eight, ten, twelve hours, whatever a day is. That's right. Yeah, you, you've had a whole like pretty much everybody, right? You've probably guided just about every type of person out there. Is it? Does it feel like right. uh, that was the thing you really loved as you as you you know in in the guiding is just the people? Yeah, we have guiding schools, and I say um, that you know, and uh, one of my guides, uh, Emily, who has a great uh, YouTube, uh, I forget what it's called. Uh, something uh emily roley is her name oh, okay i'll put a link uh, uh taylor in the in the show notes to her channel and that video you said to the six minute video of nick I'll, I'll put a link in our show notes as oh, well cool. so we can take a yeah, look at that that'd be great thank you um but um uh where was i with that well the school yeah now do you have a guiding school itself yeah well nick's doing it now in my other guides the real experience guides uh but i'm not doing it myself anymore yeah yeah but you guys teach you actually teach guides how to be guides yes yes and it's oh, a nice. very interesting thing and we and we'll get say 10 people and we'll spot one person and go oh man this is the this is the personality for this and that's really and it's even even somebody who might not uh, have the experience of the other people. They've just got the personality for it, you know, and they know how to, uh, you know, they've got manners and and show up on time and do things yeah. like that. I mean, it's not all about just the skills. And a lot of it is about the outdoors, you know, the best uh, of our 17 guides. Uh, the better ones are usually from New Mexico. They're usually yeah. um, have a vested interest in protecting the oh, environment right. for one thing, and they you know know how things go and and uh, been fishing the water since they're little kids you know so 
That's it. So, so that's good. But but the guide school, you know, you tell people, uh, um, man, this is a really bad idea to to uh, make a living. And um, and they said, yeah, but you're making two three hundred dollars a day. And I said, well, OK, now look at that a little closer, because that's for, you know, that's for a season that's about three or four months long. That's, right. You know, you're not getting that 365 no. days a year. No. So, you know, it, it's not much. And I was very fortunate to, you know, I mean, I retired with a pretty good take at the end. And, uh, you know, and I had my book income too. But but um, the guiding is, uh, it, it's a rough way to go. And uh, the people, yeah. I mean, I've got all these grown men, not college age people but grown men who've been doing this for 20 years and you know we're just a great outfit to work for because the guides because we have a lot of choices of water and the guides get their say they got the clients and they're and and then nobody is afraid to ask the next guide what should i do with these people you know because yeah. you you try and match the client to the water and like, for instance, in the canyon of the Rio Grande, we're only going to have one out of 10 clients that's, that can hike in out of the canyon and then have the skill to fish the very complicated currents there. It's, it's tricky. Oh, that's the Rio Grande. Like if I was to come there, like we were saying you know, before, that I could hike in there. I love that sort of hiking. You know, that'd be right. my style. But, right. but you get right. in there now, the fishing's tricky, too. The whole thing is tricky. Well, there's some stretches of it. If you fish like riffle stretches where you don't have a lot of current to read, you know, you, uh, uh, just anybody can probably do pretty good. But, um, you know, the, where the big fish are is in deeper water that's broken with a lot of rocks with medium speed currents. And so you really need to have the right positioning. We take a lot of people from from Colorado who are f- yeah. fish who fish. Big rivers that get pounded to death. Yeah, that's right. And they fish our job with those people in the Rio Grande is shortening up their cast uh, and getting closer to the fish and uh, not mending. And, you know, one of the big jobs a guide has in in our case, you know, uh, in other streams is different, but in in northern New Mexico, the fish are generally pretty dumb, and so uh, you uh, they'll usually take whatever fly comes by, and it's more about like I heard Larry Dahlberg say on your show, which I really appreciated. It's not yeah. it's not what people think about flies; it's what the fly does and exactly. what it's for, you know. So yeah. I have one fly that's become pretty famous. It's called the Poundmeister, and it's and it's uh, a great big crane fly on a big hook. And if the fish take it, you're much more likely to land a big fish on a big hook. Oh. And so and so, you know, there's you get down to the intricacies of guiding, and a lot of it is just common sense stuff. And that's like my instinctive book. Who would I be going with there, Taylor, if I was to go into your talk to Nick and say, hey, I really want to go into the canyon for a, for a day. Is Are there all of the guides could take me down there? Or would it be Pretty just much. like, yeah, okay. 
Pretty much. Um, there's a couple guys that may have only been guiding for two, three, four years that 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 maybe not. But but, uh, you know, we've got a lot of beginner fishing, too. Um, another thing we have there that uh, I may be uh, not the right time to say this, but but I think it is. Uh, it may come up and open up this year is there's a massive Rio Grande cutthroat. Oh, the slam. Yeah, it's in the it's in the. It's in an area called the Vividal, which is an extremely gorgeous high elevation, 10,000 foot um, uh, country. And uh, it's a, the, the world's biggest native trout restoration project. And hmm. it may open up this year um, because they've had to remove all of the hybrids that have been in there. But, um, but that's also another big factor in our fishing is that. Uh, it's the, the Rio Castilla is the actual stream. Rio Castilla. Okay. So, yeah. So there's uh-huh. a bunch of, and we haven't, we haven't touched on everything today. Obviously there's a bunch uh-huh. of different rivers. I mean, what would you say again? So New Mexico, uh, what have we not taught? What would be important things to be thinking about if you're going to plan a trip there? What would you tell somebody? Or just grab your book probably is a good way to do it. Or grab one of your books, right? But um, Yeah, well, it's the new book. It's like, you know, uh, Fly Fish, Tile Santa Fe. And, yeah. um, and that's only a year old. So it's quite up to date. You know, I was trying to – somebody said, well, I can just go get a used uh, guidebook. And I said, well, I wrote that used guidebook, and I know that <laughs> most of it's most of it's dated. I can tell you, uh, looking at this is that uh-huh. um, the great thing about this is that this book, those maps, I mean, I love maps. but That's Pete Chatwell's map. He's your neighbor, Pete Chatwell. Oh, those are awesome. Yeah, because yeah. they're super, they're clear, they're colorful, they're not too detailed, but they're really easy. Right. So if you're going, I mean, yeah. when we go there and we're, we're heading there sometime, but I'm going to have this book right next to me as I'm going because this is great. But so let's say somebody doesn't have the book in front of them right now. What else yeah. do you tell them if they're coming there? They're planning a trip right now. What else do you tell them about planning a trip? Well, obviously, getting guided is a big deal. Yeah. So you think you, you, need, to, you need to spend at least a day with a guide? Well, uh, if you spend a day with a guide, and, and I'll give you some little tips, you don't say, I'm planning to build a house right here <laughs> by the property as close as I can to here and fish here every day after you take me fishing. You say, right. okay, I'm going to fish here. I'll probably never come back so you can yeah. show me your best spot. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something about booking a guide trip, and this is true anywhere, is the farther you do it in advance, the better. You're going to oh, have okay. the best choice for guide. Uh, but how far in advance? How far in advance would you say? Like if I was planning a trip, I would just want to. A month, should I do a this month, a year out? Something. Oh, okay, month. No, a month, two months, maybe. Um, okay. But then try and be flexible at the end. In other words, you might uh, all the time we'll have say people that want to fish the Rio Grande, but then when we we meet them. They might weigh 800 pounds, and that's not going to work out, you know. So, so we have to steer them somewhere else, or the condition of the water might be bad. So, you can't really hold rigid notions, uh, and uh, you know you have to uh, roll with the punches on that thing, and and that's why you have a guide because people get this idea. Uh, you know, what they want. And, and maybe that's just not in the cards, you know. Gotcha. So if I, if we take it back to me, you know, again, I'm always thinking about this example, but if I was coming there and I wanted to say, uh-huh. check out the Canyon would be really amazing, but also I think it'd be fun to do like a float trip. Is is that, 
are there yeah, a number yeah. of places you can flo- do float trips? Well, we have it's it's we're the only ones. There's there's a floating the Rio is a big deal. It's big business um, when the water's high, but when the water's low, there's um, and and when it's high like that, it's not fishable. But we have a float that we're doing in what's called the middle box. And the middle box is um, – it's real skinny float. And so sometimes it gets so low they, they have to push the boats through a couple spots. Um, but um, – and that's a camp float. And um, uh, that can be a, just a fabulous choice to do that. Uh, a lot of the places that you fish can be reached on foot uh, from the canyon mm-hmm. uh, by four-wheel drive. But the lower part of the river is also floatable, and we've been doing a great number of trips. Evan Clausen just <laughs> called me, yeah, and uh, uh, he uh, he's been floating uh, uh, the this lower the part of the Rio Grande, yeah, in the yeah. Rio, right? And there's a lot of uh, uh, there's a lot of wild fish, but there's a lot of stockers that that carry over, and so there's a lot of uh, uh, you know pretty much wild wild fish if they're if they're in there for a couple of years extra yeah bear vault keeps wild adventure going and assures your next backcountry trip stays memorable epic and safe bear vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals out of your food this in turn keeps your food safe keeps bears safe and keeps you safe I've got a classic story I've been telling for a while about the bear that stole my backpack. Um, it was kind of a kind of a crazy story at the time, but now is kind of funny. I left some food in the pack, didn't seal it up, and the bear just kind of walked up and, and grabbed it. It took off. Never saw that backpack again. So that was my one of my stories. I've had some encounters along the way. But it's definitely awesome having the bear vault because now you, can, you don't have to worry about this. If you're out there, you can just lock it up and, uh, and you're good to go. And now you too can experience all of the great stuff of the remote backpacking trips or your trips out there with the bears and not have to worry about fiddling with your stuff. Sleep soundly knowing your vault has you covered. The bear vault also has some great bonus features like the see-through walls so you can check out what you have going. Plus, one of my favorites, it doubles as a camp stool. This is awesome. Who doesn't love another camp stool? Be the guy who has the epic trip, not the guy who has to hike out early because he got pounced by a bear. Bear Vault, they got you covered. Check it out right now. Wetflyswing.com slash bear vault. That's B-E-A-R-V-A-U-L-T. You support this podcast by clicking over to check out Bear Vault right now. Are you, when you're out there, you yourself fishing, are, are you kind of mostly doing like dry fly fishing when you can? Or are you mixing up like doing streamers and like everything? Well, it's funny. You know, I hear so much talk about flies and, you know, uh, and I, uh, I basically put on a, a Royal stimulator and uh, uh, I guess I can't, can say it on the air. You can cut it. Uh, the fly is my invention. Oh, you got a fly called the fly? Yeah. And in fact, John <laughs> Shuey did an article about it. And uh Oh nice. And I think I think he I think he went there. I think he published it, as I recall. And um and some of my other patterns too. But but uh it's just a hair's ear without bothering with all of the stuff, just the fur the and gold. the bead. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
so I fish those two flies and then I'll be fishing with somebody uh, who changes flies a lot and and they may catch uh, more fish at some point and, but almost always that particular rig is going to catch as many fish I mean it's it's I got real lazy in the latter years of my thing. That's awesome though. No, I love this. I love this though because this is perfect. Yeah. So basically the royal stimulator yeah. and the fly. Somebody could literally put those two that setup on and probably go to the yeah. Rio Grande or the San Juan and probably catch a number of fish. San Juan's the exception. The San Juan is the tiny, tiny twenty eights, insanely small flies. And um, Oh yeah. And I heard the best thing on that before he died. I did a show in Texas and and uh, with Lefty, and I was having dinner with him and some and some other folks that were in the show. And uh, and Lefty said something I couldn't believe. You know, he was such a cool cat. I mean, when he, yeah. I was sick at the time, and and he met me and he said, "Man, you don't look good." <laughs> And, 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 but the thing from him, that's like, he really cares, you know, like he yeah. was a, he was a, straight he up. was a real hu- human guy. So, but he had this theory and it's just the greatest thing on, on the tiny flies in San Juan. He says, you know, those fish don't have fingers to feel that stuff. And they put those flies in their mouth to see what it is. And uh, it's too, too small. So they just put it in their mouth. <laughs> Exactly. I thought, That's wow, it. nobody's thought of that before. Yeah. <laughs> so. Lefty's right. Yeah, no, that is good. And I love the lefty stories for sure. So he Yeah. Yeah, he he was a good guy. What what uh I mean, you know, and we're we're gonna probably start wrapping this up here in a little bit, but I had a couple I, I want to dig in a little more on the fishing and then if we have a couple more chances for maybe another lefty story or something, we'll dig into that. Uh uh-huh. but so when you talk about the the two flies there and you're just kind of fishing uh, I guess, I mean, fishing those, you're just like a dry, kind of dry dropper sort of setup. Is that kind of what you're running there or what you like to, the simple, uh, yeah, like what's yeah. your simplest setup? Right. Is that what you're doing? That would be the simplest one. The, uh, um, the Royal Stimulator. Now they come from, they used to come, I believe from Umqua. And there's somebody that ties those, who knows if there are however many uh, fly tires they have with a material that is a floating material and somebody ties it. I'm thinking from years back. So you yeah. got to get the right stimulator <laughs> because some of them get waterlogged and some of them don't anyway. And, uh, it's one of the only flies. Why that's such a great choice is this is because it's one of the very few flies that refloats itself. So it gets into mm. really rough water. It goes under the surface and it pops back up. Not many flies do that. And, yeah. When you're guiding, uh, one of our biggest factors in guiding is people setting the hook on the nymph strike so that they set it hard enough and fast enough. And it's a monster. It's uh, ask any a guide that makes his living on the water and he'll tell you that's 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 the secret is you need to set it hard and fast. Yeah. Uh, well, hard, you know, it depends on what temperature you're using, but, you know, like uh, like in the Rio Grande, you're using 3X or 4 maybe, but fluoroc- yeah. fluorocarbon, of course. But so having that fly that can float really well and, uh, uh, you know, you, you, the one you put on in the morning is going to be too waterlogged after a f- few fish and a couple hours. Yeah. So 
so you need to change them out but but um yeah that would be uh, that would be the rig and then but one other thing when you come to deeper water especially if you think there's big fish there you go deeper and you go deeper by adding a third fly and hmm. uh, uh, you put about 18 inches just tied to the nymph and add, say, 18 inches. Uh, so you got three flies. Now you got to know that oval cast so you don't get tangled. Yeah. And right. that's that's a big point I make in my instinctive book is, you know, you've uh, uh, a regular cast. You're just going to be tangled all the time. So, you know, yeah. have to have to know how to make that kind of. What, what is know. the oval cast? What, what is the oval well, cast? you're kind of swinging around in an oval like a helicopter or something. You know, you're going around. If you make a tight loop, then the flies are going to cram, slam into each other and get all tangled. Yeah. So even when you set the hook, when you've got that rig and you set the hook, you set it. And you, you know, uh, going to miss more than you're going to hook, but you make sure it swings around as you do it. And so it doesn't get tangled. And, uh, I mean, I remember fishing for years and years and never knowing to do that and, uh, and, uh, spend half my time on the bank untangling, but, untangling. Um, yeah, yeah. If you go around in an oval, um, it's a different cast. When you say go around an oval, do you mean like I'm coming like a normal back cast behind me and then going an oval, or I'm doing like a sidearm cast with an oval? Yeah, it kind of starts with a sidearm, yeah. Starts with a sidearm, and you're coming around. Oh, and you come around on top, right. And a big old oval so that that the whole rig goes around, it slings around, and there's no tight loop to get tangled. You follow? Yeah, yeah, you don't want the tight loop. I used to do those, um, the fly fishing show. Uh, and be a celebrity there at the fly fishing show. And I would always follow like Chico Fernandez or Lefty and they would be cast in, uh, and Rajif and they would be cast in forever. And I'm coming up and I'm showing <laughs> these 20 and 30 foot casts, you know, like a tip cast and, or that cast especially. And uh, it was, um, uh, people uh, paid attention once they realized yeah, that this new. is actually what you need to do when you're fishing and you never need to cast 90 feet, you know? So, uh, nope. so th- that was an interesting uh, demo I had set up. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned in your instinctive book about uh, eddy fishing. Is this, uh, what is that about when you say eddy fishing? Is that? Um... Well, that would be, yeah, that's a great, great uh, question uh, because, Eddy fishing, one of the best places to fish a river is the eddies because almost everybody will cast. So your eddy, you're not – if you cast to the eddy with line on the water, you're not going to get a drift. So you have to sneak into the eddy, and you can do that by coming across – by wading. uh, There's going to be a fast current. And you can wade close to that fast current usually without spooking the fish and then reaching over with your arm as far as you can. I know there's a, a, a drawing of that. It was actually yeah. done by Pete Chadwell, too. Um, that uh, Reaching over and you just drop those flies straight down. 
right. or you do it from the bank, but you stay back as far as you can. And yeah. you just so no walk, line on the water. Walk on tiptoes. Exactly. So it goes straight down. And one of the really cool ways to do it, and this is like coming, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot about uh, in my book and in the guiding, there's a lot about dexterity with a fly round. It's really difficult to drop a fly in, just drop it straight down from your rod and do it at the right pace so that it's going at the sink rate. And so it's going down and the fish takes it and just hooks itself because it's just about tight. I mean, it's a Euro nymph kind of thing, right? Yeah, and so, exactly. so in fact, the Euro rod would be really good for that eddy circumstance. So if you know where there's a bunch of eddies in the, in a river that you're fishing and you don't do that well in them, then you fish it different. You try and get really close and drop it straight down. And that's where a really large fish would like. And, yeah. uh, and of course, they'd like to rise in those spots too, especially if there's foam on it. That's right. So if there's a hatch off, it's good. Yeah. Foam right. is good. Foam right. is home. <laughs> yeah. Foam <laughs> is re really good. Right. And sometimes uh, what I've done with the foam, uh, we'd have a lot of that in Argentina when we would fish there. And, and is you fish it dry in the foam, but you skate it real slow just so you can see the fly across uh, through the foam but then the trout see it too because it's it's drawing attention because there's no there's no uh, what's the word um uh well there's there's so much foam and insects in a particular spot like that that how are they going to know about yours and if you yeah. cast your fly a dry fly into there it's going to sit on top of the foam so you want to put something that'll just you can just skate right through the um, yeah, at the very awesome. surface. You follow me? And yeah. uh, just skate it real slow. Yeah, like in Argentina, uh, I think the trout are smarter now than when I used to spend a lot of time there. But but uh, we moved the fly a lot. We moved to uh, we'd fish lakes with uh, bass poppers and uh, for trout and and. Uh, you just want to draw their attention, you know, and uh, so, you know, uh, fishing for fishing for dumb trout's gas. <laughs> yeah. Beats right. the hell out of it anymore. When I go trout fishing and I get to a place and and I have a fish look at the fly and then turn away, I go, oh, it's been caught. Let's go elsewhere. And it's not like, yeah. you know, I just don't people get some people get off on that. But I like, you know, I like the dumb version. So. Yeah. Do you still get as fired up about your, your fishing getting out on the water as you used to? No. <laughs> yeah. When did that change? Because I, I, I look at my dad, who I think he's a lot older than you, but he, um, yeah, I mean, I saw the transition. You know, we transitioned from him being the, 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 the full on fishing all the time. And then, I, uh -huh. and then I became that person. And I also saw him where he literally started to get out of fishing and it uh -huh. was partly health, health related. But I mean, when did that, do you, do you look back and see that transition just of a life of doing it for 50 years? And you're like, okay, I did enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would say that I've gotten more practical. I'm like fish to eat. I'm looking for fish to eat. And, mm. uh, and that's catfish and walleye and white bass. And they're putting wipers in this lake. I live next oh, yeah, to Caballo, Caballo Lake in New Mexico. So I'm looking for fish to eat. I just, you know, 
the you know catching a fish and throwing it back is a pretty dumb thing to do. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so but catching one and eating it is uh, makes yeah. a lot of sense. Uh, but no, but I still if I got up on the Canejos when the green drakes are hatching, I just uh, you'd still be fired yeah, up. That's a different thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's it. And right. I yeah. and I do really like fishing really small streams and way back in the mountains and seeing yeah. the country and making a that's cast it. here and there. Yeah. That's usually for brookies or cutthroats in that case. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We all evolve. That's a great thing, right? We all in our fly fishing journeys, right? Everybody yeah. listening here is going to be into one thing and then it's going to slowly evolve into something. And that's, what's great about it because it's so diverse, right? You could, you don't have right. to be a, a, a cutthroat fisherman your whole life, right? You could fish for bass right. and, and right. it's amazing. Right. So I can't tell you that the number of people that I guided, normally women who wanted to fish without a hook. And, oh, wow. and so you cut the hook off. It's an amazing thing. You cut the hook off and then the trout eats the fly and swims around with it like a dog with a bone. Right. <laughs> and then they let it go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, you still get the fight when that happens? Do you still feel, do you get a good fight on the fish for a little no, bit? I never seen a fight. I mean, no. they let go as soon as you pull on and they it. Feel you know, it. But, yeah, they feel yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody brought that up. I remember, you know, the steelhead runs and things have been down recently. And I know somebody brought that up a while back on an episode where they said, you know what, instead of closing the river down, how about you just let us fish without a hook, you know, and, yeah, and you can still yeah, steelhead yeah. fish and you're not hurting anything. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's another thought. You know, another way to do that is the tie flies on a, a fine wire hook and spring the hook so that you can actually have the fish on for a really short period of time. And then you just give it a little slam and the hook straightens out and they're gone. Oh yeah. And they're gone. Yeah. I've tried to convince my guides to do that. (laughs) You don't want to smarten up all these fish. So, so, um, no, exactly. That's good. So, <laughs> so tell me this, I just quickly on, on the hunting, I'm curious because I do a little bit of uh, deer and elk hunting as well. Is, is hunting for you now huh. that thing that's, you know, even more, are you more passionate about hunting than you are fishing? Yeah. You know, because I never really made a living at it, you know, so I yeah. didn't get c- kind of ruined by that old phrase, you know, doing what you mm. love. Um, uh, so, and I live, I can go, I got a javelina tag. I'm supposed to be out doing that tomorrow and um you know it still gets me and here in southern new mexico there's something to hunt about nine months of the year so uh yeah we we love it i mean the biggest day in new mexico is is uh is the big game draw day and uh uh everybody it's like a common phrase what did you draw yep so it's it's all a draw it's all a lottery system well yeah yeah you know we got so many fancy critters uh, uh desert bighorn uh mountain bighorn and oryx ibex um uh elk deer antelope um, everything you guys are loaded a lot of stuff yeah yeah and so you get a lot of uh well you don't get that many tags i had an elk tag and i didn't get one last year but but uh, uh my son got one with a bow so oh, so yeah. i'm eating that and then evan got got one and so yeah yeah uh, yeah so you like the you like the idea of having a nice uh, elk in the freezer? Yeah, yeah. Well, I live right next to the Gila, and uh, so you know, there's there's got to be some kind of meat uh, coming out of there for me. Yeah, 
That's perfect. I got a big old freezer and quail hunt a lot. I got a bird dog. And oh, quail. Nice. You do some upland. Awesome. Yeah. But this, this, uh, this is the downside of global warming because it isn't rained here in months and, and rain is, is the monster factor for quail. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, Taylor, I mean, obviously, you know, this is, uh, most of these I go and I have a conversation like this and I want to keep going for another hour, but I'll, I'll respect your time and let you get out of here. Um, tell me one random one here. You, we mentioned, uh, Woodstock at the start and you, and, and CCR was, was that your, your group? If you had to say one band you really loved musician or whatever, either now or back in the day, who, who was that? Or who would you see at Woodstock that really blew you away? Sly. Sly? <laughs> Sly. Yeah. No kidding. That's a name. That's a, that's an actual group. Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, Sly and I've never even heard of that. That's there you go. Oh yeah, no, Google them. Yeah, yeah. I will. I'll put a video of them in the show notes so people can t- have a listen. <laughs> yeah, Sly. What is it? Is it like CCR? Is it kind of like CCR? No, no, no. It's like a uh, uh, funkadelic or something like oh, that. Oh, funkadelic. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, I love. Yeah, I love yeah, the yeah, yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, um, this has been fun. So just give me a heads up. It sounds like you're completely retired. You got hunting and stuff. For you, what do you look at as you look at the next year ahead? Is it just kind of a lot of sitting back in the sunshine and enjoying retirement? No, 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 I don't. Uh, <laughs> I wish. I have this kind of old house and I need to work on it. But but I'm writing this memoir, the Which Way's Upstream book, and it's uh, – yeah. it's um, – it's been a, a, a quite the incredible experience. I would say that everybody should write their biography because uh, it's uh, you get yeah. to relive a lot of stuff and maybe do it over right in your dream that night or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. A lot of the stuff you talked about, and I didn't dig into a lot of personal stuff here because, you know, I do want to kind of respect, you know, we, you know, all that stuff. But, um, I mean, the memoir sounds like something where you're, you're letting go, you're letting loose on your whole everything. Well, you, you kind of got to, and I think the bottom line with that, it can be embarrassing, but you know, if it does anybody any good, then you, you got to put it out, you know? That's exciting. Is exciting. I'm really now. Give me a. I'm not sure if you have a date, but what could we? Because this episode will be living out there for a number of years. When do you think this will be out? Well, I'd say that I could present it to. Um, uh, it was interesting hearing Nick Lyons because. Uh, uh, well, I'd like to. Uh, I better not get into the publishing business, but um, right. in a year, I can probably uh, uh, be looking okay. for a publisher. Yeah. One year. Oh, so yeah. one year and then look for a publisher and then another year to publish it. So like two years from now? Well, I hire an editor. I have an editor, Anne, from Helena, and uh, I'm giving her a plug. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's a great— Well, when do you think, if I was to go, uh, give her a plug first and then tell me when, if I could go just and buy your book, when do you guesstimate when do you think that would be? Uh, a year and a half. Okay, year and a half. That's good. I just want to want to nail you down a little bit here because we left a lot on the table as far as a lot of stuff I'm interested in your your background. You know what I mean? So I'm really excited to get oh, this I thing. Oh, I got some. I, I got some stories. Believe me. All right. Well, yeah. uh, I, well, we'll leave that maybe for <laughs> next one, or maybe we talk to. Uh, I'm not sure how yeah. much of the story Nick Nick knows, but yeah. we might get him on down the line as well. So I've got the. Uh, I just wrote a couple of days ago the Marlon Brando drawing. Uh, I was in a restaurant in Taos, you know, everybody goes to Taos and Marlon Brando sitting at the table next to me and we're the only people in the restaurant. 
and everybody's coming up and bothering him and everything. And I don't say nothing to him. And and then he he ate four desserts. That was in his heavyweight days. And uh, and then he left. And the waitress comes over and holds up his placemat, which is an absolute perfect pencil drawing of me sitting there eating dinner. And I reach up to grab it, and she says, I'm keeping it. And that's oh. the last I saw. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, and that you're was saying Marlon Brando drew a picture yeah. of you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And That and, is crazy. You know, I never – I think it was before there was a copier machine. It was like 50 years ago, you know. Oh, and so, wow. So I never saw it again. I never heard about anything and, you know. And that waitress is probably uh, – that drawing is somewhere out there probably still. That was Maybe. New Mexico in the uh, olden days, you know. That's how things yeah. rolled. So, <laughs> you painted a picture of New Mexico and Mexico, the, that whole thing down there, of this really interesting place that I think that like people are probably going to want to go to if they haven't been there. It sounds like a really unique part of the country. It is that, yes, yes, and the landscape is is so, you know, just up the road from me is Bosque de la Pache, which is uh, people come from all over the world to for oh, the yeah. birds. It's it's uh, you know it's oh, it's, it's New Mexico's. New Mexico's like got 450 species of birds. Wow. This is is cool. And I I love birds too. So, all right, Taylor, I'm going to let you get out here. I appreciate you taking the time today and shedding some light on your background and history. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I appreciate everything you've given to fly fishing and and over the years. It's been awesome. Well, you're doing quite a bang up job yourself, Dave. So thank you. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all links and every other thing we covered today, wetflyswing.com slash 313. 313. Just a reminder, if you want to follow this episode up, and we talked about Nick, uh, Taylor's son, on this episode, you can go over right now to the Destination Angler podcast and check out what Steve has going. He interviewed, um, the title is Going Deep into the Rio Grande, um, the Rio Grande Gorge with Nick Strite. So you can go, I'll have a link down in the show notes to check that out. Definitely have uh, have a listen to that one. Uh, Steve does a great job over there. Before we get out here, just want to remind you, we've got giveaways going, some big giveaways right now, wetflyswing.com slash giveaway. Check it out, and you can enter easily to win whatever big one we got. I'm not even sure right now. we got uh, a lot of stuff going. Hope you're having a good day. Hope you're enjoying it. I really um, am glad that you had a chance to listen in here. That episode with uh, Taylor was, to me, I always love the ones that, um, you know, they're a little bit different and it's, you know, New Mexico is a place that is definitely has a different vibe. And I think that's probably one reason why we all need to eventually get out there and and check it out. Um, not to mention the good fishing. So, okay, I'm going to get out of here. I am going to take it on to the next one. I've got, uh, I've got like five podcast, uh, episodes that I, that I need to, uh, kind of get rolling in the editing editing room get them ready for dom so um yeah i want to thank uh, dom uh cheers cheers to you for doing this you've been doing an awesome job and cheers to you if you're listening right now and to listening till the very end have a good night wherever you are see you on the water or see you online thanks for listening to the wet fly swing fly fishing show for notes and links from this episode visit wetflyswing.com